Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Um, would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, just as your word came to Abraham and it brought movement, he did not remain still after he heard you speak. Lord, I pray that this morning, as you speak to us through your holy word, it would bring that blessed movement. Lord, you know where you would have us go in each of our own lives. And Father, we pray that we would hear it and we would move towards you in love, towards others, for the better of our lives and our family's life for generations to come, for the good of our city, for the healing of our nation, Lord. We invite you to speak. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus, who is called Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, every great story has a prologue. Every great movie has a prologue. Prologue gives you an introduction to the setting of the story that's going to happen, of what's the problem, of who's going to fix it, all the different things in that. And a great example of this is the Lord of the Rings movies. So uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, if you've ever seen them, open up with this massive backstory uh, about the history of Middle Earth, which is where the story happens. And there's this really bad guy named Sauron who made this ring that's going to dominate everybody. And uh, there's huge battles. People try to stop him. And the ring is lost. And then it goes away. And things are really bad. And it's this huge epic scope of a story. But then it cuts eventually uh, to this random, seemingly insignificant hobbit, who's this little guy in his house smoking a pipe. The music changes, the scene changes, everything changes. And thus within a few minutes, you have the idea of what's gonna happen in this story. There's this massive problem in the world, it has to do with this ring, and somehow this little person, this hobbit, is gonna be a part of the story to solve the problem, if you will. We're in a sermon series in Genesis, and Genesis 1 to 11, if you've been tracking through this sermon series with our church, is all of it a prologue. Creation, fall, Cain and Abel, flood, Babel, everything in Genesis 1 to 11 is its own unit, and it is not the main story of Genesis. It's prologue, which is setting up the main story, which begins in chapter 12 and runs for the next 39 chapters. And just as Lord of the Rings starts out with this massive scope and then zooms in on this seemingly insignificant hobbit, so Genesis 1 to 11 does the exact same thing. It begins with this massive, I mean, it's going over like tons of years of time and all this stuff and generations and creation and everything. And then it cuts down to this random dude named Abram. And uh, Abram, his name gets changed to Abraham, and I will switch back and forth this entire sermon probably. So don't keep a tally of like, well, he's not Abraham yet. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Abraham. He's called Abram. Um, remember, after Genesis 3 in the fall, the prologue of Genesis, this beginning, it's kind of setting up what's the problem, and it's mainly showing us how the world is spiraling out of control. So think of like a semi-truck, like an 18-wheeler going down the Rockies with its brakes have just gone out and like there are no little ramp things that it can go up. It's just 
It's bad news. It's spiraling out of control. People have rebelled against God. Violence and sexual perversion have filled the earth. Not only that, like Jesse talked about last week, uh, with the Tower of Babel, the last big story we get, we see that people don't understand God. They don't have access to God. And they're scattered. And so by the end of Genesis 11, the end of this prologue, you would not be out of line to feel hopeless. Right? The semi-truck is blazing to a bad destination. You see how people are so messed up. They've done messed up things. They will do messed up things again if you're tracking with the story. And as a reader, you mourn what has been lost and you feel that the future is grim. And so you would be right if you were reading it for the first time to stop at the end of Genesis 11 and think, what is going to happen? How is God going to intervene? Does he want to intervene? If he does intervene, how will he intervene? How is he going to chart a way forward out of this downward spiral of a world? Here's the thing. Great stories have great prologues. Great movies have great prologues. Genesis is the greatest prologue of all time. And you have a prologue. Thought a lot about this this week. Things have happened in your life, in your family. Could be in the past week, could be your entire lifetime up to this point. In your job, a lot has happened in our city and in our nation. That all brings you to this point where you are at right now and your story is live. And all of that leading up to what has brought you to where you are at right now is prologue. Some of you might say that things have spiraled out of control. You hear the story of 18-wheeler and you're like, oh, that's me. The brakes are out and I can't engine brake and things are going bad. You've messed up. Others have messed up. You might feel that certain damage is irrevocable. Certain patterns are unchangeable. Things that were precious have been lost. You're confused. Like the people in Babel, you might think, oh, I don't understand God at all. I don't understand any of this. I'm, I'm confused. I don't feel like I have access to God. And because of your prologue, you would not be out of line to potentially feel hopeless. You might be wondering, does God care? If he does care, what is he going to do? How in the world am I supposed to chart a way forward through the middle of this from where I'm at right now? I want to invite you before we dig into this to tap in to your prologue. How do you feel right now? How do you think about the future? How do you feel about what's come before you? Once you've kind of sat in the emotions of your prologue for a second, get excited. Because no matter what your prologue is, I promise you it's not as messed up as Genesis 1 to 11. You would have to have lots of murder and like global catastrophe, which we've got our fair share of it. And like tons of awful things. And even if it was as bad as Genesis 1 to 11, you should still get excited. Because it's in Genesis 12 that God begins his work of redemption. It's here that he starts unveiling the strategy for how he's going to create something beautiful out of a downward spiral of sin. 
And if, if he can work redemption out of Genesis 1 to 11, he can do it in your life. Amen? So what I want to focus on this morning in Genesis 12 is how he accomplishes it through Abraham, how he starts it. This is so good. It's really simple. Basically, he's going to give Abraham this huge vision of redemption that he's going to accomplish, this long-haul vision. And then he's going to ask him to take the simple first small step in that direction. I've tried to shorten it to small steps for the long haul. If that makes no sense, then track with me. We're going to figure out what he means. He's going to give Abraham this huge vision, and he's going to give him one clear, distinct, small step to take in that direction. That's the big idea. And as it was for Abraham, so it is for us. So grab your, your Bible. I really do want you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Genesis 12. We've completed this first section in the book of Genesis leading up to Genesis 1 to 11. And now there's this break here and we begin the rest of the story of the Bible in some ways, which as you can see from the gospel reading and the genealogy, what God begins here ends with Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, Genesis 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Go. From your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Love those scriptures. So the world's messed up. It's a semi whose brakes have gone out. And this is how God's plan of redemption kicks off with this precious speech to Abraham. Now, look at me, look at this with me, and I want us to see how this is a long-haul vision and a simple action step. First, God reveals to Abram, from the very beginning, a long-haul vision. God blows the ceiling off of what Abraham believes is possible. It's beyond his imagination. It's outside of his reality. By himself, Abram would have never dreamed this up, ever. Basically, God says, Abram, I want to like pour out my blessing on top of you, my favor. I have chosen you to be a vessel of mercy. I want to fill you up with my blessing. I'm going to make you a nation and a great name. And my great plan is then to have all that blessing in your life spill out of you in your lifetime and spill into the future through previous or future generations so that through you, the kicker is at the end of that verse, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what's the long haul vision? It is nothing less than total global redemption. Blessing is all over these verses. Did you notice that? It's just everywhere. And that's important because what's all over Genesis 3 after the fall is curses. Curses of sin and death and all these things. 
And this is God reversing his, his plan of action to reverse the curse into a blessing. I love Enjoy to the World. Uh, the great Christmas hymn, it says, he comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. You can see that here, that's his, that's his plan. Praise God. A couple things I just wanna point out about this vision. First of all, God chose to work through a family. Isn't that amazing? Not through an army or through something. He chose a family. He chose a generational family to work through. It's like a great, like, old school, ancient Near Eastern Downton Abbey drama that he chose to work <laughs> through. Not just with one person. Not just with Abraham. Do you see that? But through Abraham and everybody else who comes after him. Also, it's not a perfect family. It's not a hyper-spiritual family. As we read Genesis, we're going to see this family is probably more dysfunctional than yours. Uh, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet of this family, and God still chose to work through them. If that doesn't give us hope, what does? Also, I want to point out how it's about Abram and his family, but it also goes beyond Abram and his family. Don't you love this? Yes, he will be blessed as a person. His family will be blessed, but it spills into other families. So the blessing that comes to him is eventually going to spill out into other people. So the vision God sets up is one that would unfurl throughout history. He's calling Abraham to be this pebble that starts an avalanche, to be the first precious link in the chain that goes on. And that's what we see in that genealogy again. It begins with Abraham and it goes all throughout. And finally, this vision from God is a promise of God. You see all the times that God says, I will. When God says something like, I will, he means it. So this is God coming to Abraham to proclaim something over his life. And it then puts Abraham in a position either to believe it or not. Either to trust in it and participate in it or not. It's not like, Abraham, do you want to do this with me? It's a promise. So there you have it. God begins by revealing to Abraham this massive long haul vision of redemption. He's like, here's where we're gonna go, Abram. Here's what's possible. Here's what I wanna do through you and in you throughout history. So that's the first bit, but here's the kicker. What else does he give him in order to get there? What all the other stuff does he unfurl here? All it is is one tiny command. One small step of obedience. Go. Literally, that's it. Go. On a fundamental level, at the very beginning of all things, God just tells this guy to start walking. To move. Let's think about it for a second. This is where this just gets so rich. Abraham doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't even know what he'll be doing. God says, go to a land that I will show you. Abraham doesn't have the directions. At this point, he doesn't know what else he'll be called to do or what else God will do as a part of this. You might know everything else that happens in Abraham's life after this point, but he doesn't know here. God just commands him to take the first step. What's more, Abraham doesn't even really know who God is. 
God will reveal himself more fully and deeply to Abraham and to his offspring. He will make a covenant with him of circumcision and all this amazing stuff. He will talk more with him. He will meet with him later in Genesis and walk with him. But at this point, none of that has happened. God has not yet fully revealed himself. So Abraham up to this point is a pagan, idol-worshiping, ancient dude just like everybody else. He's probably just confused as everybody else was at, at the Tower of Babel like Jesse preached about last week. All he gets is this insanely beautiful future vision and just this tiny, crazy command, go. Thus, before he understands anything and everything, he's given a command to go, to start moving. Before he knows all the details, he's commanded to start walking as an act of faith. Before he sees, he's asked to, ask, to have faith. That's really important. His obedience and faith come first, and he understands as he's walking. That's what God asks him to do. He just says, go, and all along the way, he fully reveals it. To dig a little bit deeper, deeper, this call is also one that comes with great cost. God calls him to go somewhere and leave behind everything. Go is the command from your country and your kindred and your father's house. In the ancient world, that is like all financial and relational and social security wrapped up right there in that little sentence. So this is insane. Let's pick on Maddie, our worship leader. This would be like me coming up to Maddie and saying, Maddie, cut up your credit cards, quit your job. I want you to leave Madison, leave everything behind, everyone you know. There's a plane that leaves in an hour and you need to get on it right now. You just gotta trust me. That's insane. But that is no more insane, literally, than what God is asking this guy to do. Go. Leave it all. Trust me. I'll show you where you're going along the way. But go. And it would be less crazy if Abraham had a lot of kids and knew that he was going to perpetuate a name and was young and spry and strong. But the only things we get at the end of the genealogy of Genesis 11 is we find out that they have no children and that he's old. I love how Hebrews says in that scripture we read that he was as good as dead, which is a bad thing to say about an old guy. But that's what the Bible says, not me. So this guy's as good as dead. He's old. He's got no kids. And God is like, cut everything up, burn all your money, essentially, and there's a plane leaving in an hour. Go get on it. I'll show you. Break with your life. Start following. So do you see how this is small steps for the long haul? I hope that terminology makes sense. It's as good as I could do. It's a divine promise. It's a profound call to simple action, to start heading in that direction towards this beautiful vision that God has promised saying, take faith, believe me, and just start walking. It's a call to have faith and lose everything in your life in order to find it. It's hard to imagine what Abram would have thought. That's one of the... I, his life is so fascinating to me and we get, we get glimpses of it. And it's interesting as Genesis goes on, we start slowing down and it gets more into normal kind of everyday life. Um, but it's hard to imagine what he thought. He, he had no previous long relationship with this God. This is a new thing to him. That God is coming to him. But Abraham is the father of our faith. I sang that song growing up in Sunday school, Father Abraham and Many Sons. He's the father of our faith because 
In an audacious, audacious act of faith, he started moving. He started walking. Let me just read that portion from that utterly beautiful Hebrews reading this morning. This is from Hebrews. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And listen, he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. I love how that pass ends with the writer of the Hebrews saying, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God loves that. He sees Abraham see his vision and believe in it. And if you've read the New Testament, you know how all the time it says that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness there. He believes in it and he put one foot in front of the other and God was like, yes, I can work with this. Let's do this. Now in the Bible, we find that when God wants to start a new thing, this is his secret sauce. This is what he does. Small steps towards a long haul vision. And this situation, what does it remind you of? This, Abraham, trust me, start walking, lose everything in order to find your, find your life. What does that remind you of? What situation? The disciples. Jesus calling the disciples, right? Peter, you don't know me from Adam. I want to make you a fisher of men. He, who knows if he even understood what that meant, right? What am I? Be like catching people? How, how, what does that mean? Peter, I want to make you the rock upon which the church is going to eventually be built. There's an amazing vision. But at the very beginning, Peter, follow me. Drop your nets. Go. Peter dropped his nets and he went. Think about Paul. Jesus had chosen Paul, the, the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, to be one of the most influential people. And he was persecuting the church. Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus. He blinds Paul. And he says that he's going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. One of the most just profound things that anybody ever hears at first when they meet Jesus Jesus has massive plans for Paul. But the first small step that Jesus gives Paul was super simple in Acts. It was, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. <laughs> he doesn't even know what's next. He just said, Paul, get up and go. And then off, off to the races. God has done this throughout history. This, you could go into any prophet in the Old Testament. You could go throughout church history and the disciples to our life. Let me just give you a few examples. One of my favorites is I had a friend who early in his marriage um, had spiraled into long seasons of sin and marital infidelity. And he was messed up. His life was out of control. It was a semi. He had a prologue. But one day while everything was still spiraling, somebody prophesied over him that one day you're gonna stand up and you're gonna teach men. You're gonna be a teacher of men about the gospel. And at that point he, didn't believe it. It was beyond his imagination. How is that even possible? Why would anybody even want to listen to me? How could I even do that? And I did not know him at that time, but I knew him when I was at a men's retreat and he was the one decades later to stand up and to teach. And he told that story and he burst into tears because it happened. 
God was faithful to what God had promised. But at the beginning, when he was a semi-truck barreling out of control, it was a small step, right? It was going to that counseling session. It was reading his Bible, submitting to his local church. It was small steps. But God gave him a long-haul vision. He called him to be a part of something. And then just simple, simple, one foot in front of the other along the way. Let me give you another one that hits a little bit closer to home. About six or seven years ago, Marissa and I started feeling compelled to plant a church in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, which is, again, I'm from the South. Marissa's from California. We've been in the Midwest forever, but that wasn't like something we had always thought we would do growing up or be a part of. But God was clearly speaking to us through Marissa and I in scriptures and through people. And it was vast, this vision to build a spiritual house where people could come home. Um, And it was this vision that was beyond us. And most importantly, it didn't exist at all. (laughs) It like, it didn't exist. It was just a twinkle in the eye of something that God was moving and not just us, but a lot of people, a lot of you. But one person in particular during this season was praying for us and gave us this really beautiful word um, that she felt like God wanted to build a church in Madison where people could come home whose parents and grandparents and great grandparents had been praying for them for years. And that Christ Church was called to be a place where God could answer the prayers of previous folks who have, some even who have gone to be with the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Do you see the generational blessing and everything happening here? So if you're a part of Christ Church and you've met Jesus here, that could be because God is being faithful to the prayers of your ancestors. Hallelujah. But at that time, it didn't exist. And what it did take is for a lot of us to take a step, move here, move churches, become a part of a community. And God is still doing that. It's still alive. We're still in the middle of that vision. But it began with a small step. I couldn't help uh, hearing Chad Magnuson preach the other week and thinking about the Magnuson family in the Fox Cities. God has given them a vision and it does not exist yet. But it will. But right now, Chad and Kirsten, they're like, figuring out the next thing. It's amazing. Now, what about you? Go back to the beginning, to thinking about where you are in life and things that have led up to this point and the the downward spiral, the semi-truck, which is barreling towards oblivion. You might feel like your life can't be stopped and it's spiraling out of control. You might feel like you've dug a hole for yourself so deep that there is no way to get out of it. You might feel like you're just drifting aimlessly. It might be different than that. It just might be like, I just am so bored and I have no idea what to do with my life and nothing is exciting to me. Nothing has taste. It's like spiritual COVID. You've lost your sense of taste and smell. I think this story is so deeply and profoundly practical. It's one of those things I feel like I don't need even to preach into because you just get it. But let's keep on going with this. There's so much attainable hope in this message. First... Let God reveal to you a long-haul vision. Do you see how at the beginning of everything, God blows the ceiling off of what Abraham thinks is possible in his life? See what God has promised. Ask God where he wants to take you. And it may be specific. Sometimes God does work through specific words. Somebody will come up like that guy being prophesied over. You're You're gonna stand up and teach men one day. 
but it doesn't need to be specific. And I want to challenge you to not wait for that because God gives you his vision, just like he gave Abraham all throughout the scriptures. There is not one gospel or letter of the New Testament that does not begin and possess in it God lifting us up to participate in his vision. He has told us what he wants from us and what he's doing in the world. Uh, if you remember 1 Peter 1, which we studied in thinking about the dispersion right after Easter, remember that first chapter, you've been born again to a living hope. You have an, imp an imperishable, unfading inheritance in heaven that you will attain to the resurrection. You do not see him now, but you love him. You will. It's just lifting up these people who are suffering their eyes to this vision of what's going to happen in the future. So dive into the scriptures. If you want to have your eyes caught up into the amazing work of redemption of God, read your Bible. Ask God to reveal that to you. But for now, we can say, for us, really, it's as simple as the call to Abraham. It's very similar in Jesus. God still works through families. God is still interested in working through you, and he's still interested in working through you and blessing your children or spiritual children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. He's still calling you to follow him. He still wants to bless you so that the blessing in your life can spill out into others. That's still how God is changing the world. And notice with Abraham, one of the burdens is we just think everything is about us. So like the vision God has for us, it's all about what we're going to accomplish in our life or what's my job going to be or how am I going to be remembered. But I think this is a gift that God's vision includes you, but it's not about you. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Uh, God's vision 100% included Abraham, but it was not all about Abraham. And he is precious. You read through that genealogy that Max read, every single one of those people is lovingly, I say this in the best way, insignificant, and in that they weren't what the story was all about. And yet every single one of them was an integral, preciously significant part. So it is, it includes you, but it is not centered around you. It's beyond you. Remember Hebrews, all these died in faith, not having received what was promised, but they greeted it from afar. God loved that. He's calling you to be a part of something that's beyond you. So do you have a grasp? Do you have an idea of what God is calling you to participate in? Do you believe it? For some of you, this might be really specific. For some of you, it might, it might need to be just a general idea of how God is calling the church and all of us as Christians to participate in his vocation. Either way, grasping this is so paramount if you feel stuck, especially. And your job is to plug your circuitry of your life into that hope and let it fill you. And once you grasp that vision, your next step is exactly that. It's a step. It's a small step of obedience in the right direction. This is so good. Remember, God graciously does not tell Abraham everything he's going to do and call him to it once. Otherwise, it would be terrifying. Abraham, go to this place. This is going to happen. Then you're going to do this. Then, actually, out of nowhere, you're going to have a son. Then I'm going to ask you to sacrifice that son. Then I'm not. Then I'm going to do this, and then you're going to do this. Like, that would be, that was too much. All he calls him to do is one thing in front of him. Go. Just, just start following me. Trust me. Just start participating in it. Sometimes, listen, sometimes the process of redemption or healing or discernment or spiritual maturity can seem utterly overwhelming. 
It is to me and I know it is to you. How is this ever gonna happen? How am I ever gonna get through this? This is gonna be too much work, it's too exhausting. I can't do it anymore. But Jesus' call to you today is the exact same as if it was for Abraham and Peter. Go, just start. The practicalities are gonna look each different for each of you, but in your journey, here's a question. What is the next small step that Jesus is calling you to do? I think he is faithful to at least give us that. The Holy Spirit makes that clear. What's a small thing that you feel like right now, what is God calling you to do right now? Whatever that is, go. Start moving your feet, don't overthink it. Just start heading in that direction. As an example, I know I just had a lot of time away on vacation and some study leave and in my prayer times and just my time with the Lord, I know so clearly God is calling me to be persistent and to be pursuing him in prayer and fasting more in an intentional way. I'm a priest, I pray and fast as a part of my job, I do it throughout the year, but God is calling me into a consistency and intentionality in seeking him in the secret place uh, in a new way, in a fresh way. I know that without a shadow of a doubt. And yet, let me be vulnerable and say that that's been clunky as I've been trying to figure that out. I know I'm supposed to be like a professional prayer and faster, but it's not been easy. I'm like, where do I start? I don't know how to do this or I'll do it. And I feel like this isn't that productive. I just don't know. But there's a way that thinking about it a ton would stop me from ever actually doing it. If you know what I mean. The practicalities of it all mean I just don't do it. So listen, my takeaway from this sermon, to give you the answer to my own question, which I just asked you, my takeaway is I'm just going to start praying, praying and fasting more. I'm just going to start I'm cleaning my calendar. I'm just going to start doing it. And I'm going to trust that God is going to meet me there and reveal himself to me, there to me more along the way. But it's better than not walking. It's better than not doing it. So whatever it is for you, just start moving your feet. Make it simple. God's commands are not obscure. We make them obscure. Let me say that again. God's commands are not obscure at all. They're pretty stinking simple. We are the ones who debate them to death and we confuse them and we have a lot of reasons for making them seem ambiguous, but they are not. Just like with Jesus and his call to the disciples, just like God and his call to Abraham, obedience precedes full understanding. Action, movement. Remember in Jesus' day, he called everybody to follow him and what were the people who didn't follow Jesus? They were the people who were like, now one second, I wanna talk about this a little bit. Um, let, me, let me test you out a little bit. I want to debate this. I need to go do this. Those were the folks who never followed him. The ones who did were like Peter. When Jesus was like, Peter, I want to do something with you. Now follow me. And he went and he dropped his nets. So if you're in the middle of a crisis, you're not going to solve everything overnight. Hallelujah. That's okay. God doesn't need you to do that overnight. He's not calling you to. God's not calling you to be perfect or have everything figured out or even to understand everything. But you can be obedient. You can be faithful in small ways today and tomorrow. What is going to take you one step closer to Jesus and his church? If the Holy Spirit is impressing a calling on your life, and if I'm talking right now and you just feel it, it's burning in you, whatever it is, could be giving up something, a vice, could be going somewhere, 
could be speaking to someone, could be doing something or making a change in some way in your life. If that's true, don't debate it. Don't overthink it. Just obey it. If you're not a Christian, if you're listening to this and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you've been feeling yourself drawn to Jesus, this is so practical for you. Let me encourage you to just start moving your feet. I've, I've walked with a lot of people who are, have interest in the faith and have been on a journey to faith. And I know that for so much of it, even as you're feeling the Holy Spirit and you're like, man, this is good. Please give me some more of that on my plate. I know there's a lot of questions you still have. Peter had a lot of questions. Abraham had tons of questions. God is calling you to start following him. So I want to encourage you, just take steps closer to Jesus and his church. Tune in to more things with us. Start reading your Bible more. Pray, reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you or anybody else at our church. God calls us to be obedient with what is directly in front of us in order to participate in what he's doing in a long haul, beautiful, beautiful way. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.